we've been talking together about the idea of journeys of faith, going on journeys with God that can be your journey of faith, the idea of becoming a Christian and walking with God. It can also refer to the sort of smaller journeys of faith that God takes us on, where he asks us to do something that might be difficult. He asks us to step out on faith uh, and to follow him in a way we've not done before. And as we think about journeys of faith and wherever journey you may be on, whether it's a health issue or a relational issue or an emotional issue or whatever it may be, today I want to talk about the single most important character trait or characteristic for being successful on journeys of faith. And the single most important thing is being Faithful. Being faithful. Now, faithful, that's a good word. It's a beautiful word, faithful. Think about it for a moment. You can think about similar words like loyal, dependable, consistent. Those are fine words, but faithful? There's something beautiful about that idea. There's something powerful about the notion of faithful. I mean, after all, a dog can be loyal, but a spouse is faithful. That's a beautiful picture. A car can be dependable, but a friend can be faithful. I mean, after all, isn't this what we're hoping for and longing for at the end of our journeys of faith, that we hear God say to us, well done, good and faithful servant? Isn't this what we saw last week, that because of Jesus' journey, where he went through such difficult things, he became a merciful and faithful high priest. What is it about faithfulness that is so essential, so important to the journeys that we're on? That's what we want to talk about this morning, the idea of us being faithful. So please take a Bible and turn to Hebrews chapter 3. Hebrews chapter 3, if you need a Bible, we would love for you to use one of the church's Bibles. They're underneath your seat or in the rack in front of you. In those Bibles, it's page 969. 969, Hebrews chapter 3. The third chapter of Hebrews is broken up into two sections. The first section really focuses on the positive idea or concept of faithfulness or being faithful. The second half of the chapter focuses on the negative example of being unfaithful. We're going to begin with the first half, verses 1 through 6. Would you listen as I read? Hebrews 3, verses 1 to 6. <clears throat> Therefore, holy brothers and sisters who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus, whom we acknowledge as our apostle and high priest. He was faithful to the one who appointed him, just as Moses was faithful in all God's house. Jesus has been found worthy of greater honor than Moses, just as the builder of a house has greater honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but God is the builder of everything. Moses was faithful as a servant in all God's house, bearing witness to what would be spoken by God in the future. But Christ is faithful as the son over God's house, and we are his house. If indeed we hold firmly to our confidence, and the hope in which we glory. We've talked about the book of Hebrews is about two journeys of faith. 
The first is Jesus' journey of faith. The second is ours. And the point is, is that these two journeys of faith are intertwined together. That Jesus has walked the road we're walking on before us. He's the pioneer of our faith. And the point is, the author of Hebrews is saying, look, fix your eyes on Jesus. Notice how he walked his journey of faith. Because if you want to be successful in the journey that God has called you on, the person you need to look to is Jesus. And as we pay attention to Jesus, the characteristic that comes to the forefront as we examine his journey of faith is that he was faithful. Now Moses was faithful on his journey of faith, which reminds us that there are others humans that we can look to who are examples of what it means to be faithful on a journey. Hebrews 11 is going to explore that in more detail. But right here, the focus is on Jesus as a human being faithful. Now think about that word faithful. You probably already can get or, or get the connection of what faithful means because in English you can hear the relationship between the word faithful and the word faith. Now the connection is even stronger in Greek because the word for faithful and the word for faith are the same word. It's the exact same word. You can translate the word either as faithful or as faith and the point is faithful is connected to the idea of faith. Take, for example, the notion of marriage. When you get married on your wedding day, you are starting a journey of faith. Now you're there, and the reason you're proclaiming these vows uh, to your spouse is because you believe that this is the person God wants you to marry. You believe that this is the person that is going to make you happy and that you're going to be able to make happy. You believe that this is the person that you fit best with. And while you have probably a very strong sense that that's true, it's still a decision made in faith. And that's because on that wedding day, you haven't met every other person you could potentially have a relationship with. You haven't seen your spouse in every possible circumstance or every situation. You don't know on that day what life will be like 20 years from that day. And so on that day, by faith, you are saying, I'm trusting that this is the person I'm supposed to be with. But the thing about marriage is, the reason why it's so beautiful, the reason why we say a spouse is faithful, a pet can be loyal, but a spouse is faithful is because the idea of the word faithful acknowledges that not only did the journey begin in faith, but there are times throughout the journey where it requires faith to stay married. Because even though you started by believing this is the person God has for me, this is the person that's going to fulfill me, this is the person I belong best with, everybody gets to a point in marriage where they sometimes begin to doubt that. And they wonder. And they can't see it. They can't see that this marriage is a gift from God. There are times when it's a struggle or when it's a difficulty. And the reason why we call a spouse faithful is because in the middle of those dark times, they continue to believe. They continue to go with this. I believe that God wants me to be married. I believe that this is going to work out. I don't see it right now. I don't feel it. I don't sense that this person is, is, fits perfectly with me. But I'm going to continue 
to go by faith. And so we call a person who continues to walk the journey of marriage faithful because it's a recognition that you don't just need faith to start the marriage journey. You need faith along the way when you can't see. You've got to walk by faith. The same is true for a friend. We can call a coworker dependable. That means you can count on the coworker to do their assignments when they're supposed to do them. That's great. That's a nice quality. But the reason we call a friend faithful is because the friend knows us for who we really are. The friend has seen us in our darkest moments. The friend has watched us be not very good person. The friend has seen us make mistakes, yet in the midst of this, despite the fact of all of the junk or all of the things we've done, that friend continues to believe in us. That friend continues to believe that this relationship is worth investing in. That friend who's had multiple opportunities to walk away and leave us alone has stuck with us through thick and thin. And so we describe that person not as dependable, but as faithful. Because it's required faith along the way. That's what faithful means. Is it's a recognition that every journey of faith requires decisions of faith over and over and over again. Jesus is described as faithful, not simply because in the beginning of time when the Father asked him to submit to becoming a human, Jesus by faith agreed to do it. That is true, but that was just the beginning of his journey of faith. The reason Jesus is called faithful is because when he gets to the Garden of Gethsemane and he can't see it anymore, he can't possibly figure out how in the world can me being separated from my father, how is this going to work? When he becomes afraid, when he's on trial, and he could easily defend himself and false accusations are being made against him. He has the faith to entrust himself to God who judges justly. When he's hanging on that cross and people say, if you're the Messiah, come down from the cross. And he knows he can. And he can make all the pain go away. He chooses in faith to keep going. That's why he's called faithful. It's not that he made the decision once. It's that he kept making the decision over and over and over again. And when the darkness came, when the doubts came, when the fear came, he chose by faith to keep going. So we call him faithful, full of faith. I told you last week that the night before our trip to Guyana was a very difficult moment. Now, I had made the decision to go to Guyana a year before that night. But on that night, I had to make it again. I had to make it again by faith. The same is true for you. If you've decided God lays on your heart that you need to support a missionary for the next two years, and so you've gone and by faith, you've looked at your budget and you say, okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to be able to, to give them this amount of money. And then three months into your commitment, your car breaks down. And suddenly money is much tighter than you thought it was going to be. You have to make the decision again by faith. Am I still going to trust God with my finances? Even though I made the decision three months ago, now you have to make it again. The same is true as if God has encouraged you to join the swim team at school. And you felt he was prompting your heart to do that because it would be an opportunity for you to build relationships with other students at your school. And so you decide by faith to do it. But then you get into the middle and it's much harder than you expected it to. And the relationships haven't worked out exactly the way you expect them to. At that moment, you've got to make that decision again. 
You've got to decide again to obey. You've got to decide again by faith. Ultimately, this is true in our Christian lives. We become Christians when by faith, we believe, not because we see Jesus, not because he's physically present, but in our hearts, we believe that he is the son of God, that he died on a cross for our sins, that he was raised from the dead so that we might have new life. And you choose to become a Christian when you, by faith, believe that. That starts a journey, and you may experience in the beginning of that journey peace and joy and the, and the wonder of God's blessing in your life, and you may feel his nearness to you. But at some point, maybe two months in, maybe two years in, maybe 20 years in, a bout of depression hits. Or maybe the people in your family begin to make fun of you for being a Christian. At that moment, you've got to decide again, am I going to stick with Jesus? Do I really believe that he is the Son of God? Do I really believe that he has the words of life? To be faithful is to continue on the journey of faith, using faith the whole way. To walk not by sight, but by faith. This is why being faithful is the most important characteristic for a journey of faith. Because journeys of faith not only start by faith, they have to continue by faith. And the faithful person keeps making faithful decisions. They keep believing. Unfortunately, however, there is the real possibility that journeys that are begun in faith do not finish well. And for that, the author of Hebrews turns to the prime example, which is the nation of Israel. And this is what he covers in verses 7 through 19. Listen as I read them. So as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion during the time of testing in the wilderness, where your ancestors tested and tried me, though for 40 years they saw what I did. That is why I was angry with that generation. I said their hearts are always going astray and they have not known my ways. So I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving, or literally unfaithful heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage one another daily as long as it is called today so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold to our original conviction firmly to the very end. As has just been said, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. Who were they who heard and rebelled? Were they not all those Moses led out of Egypt? And with whom was he angry for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies perished in the wilderness? And to whom did God swear that they would never enter his rest, if not to those who disobeyed? So we see that they were not able to enter because of their unfaithfulness or unbelief. Israel was captive in the nation of Egypt. They were suffering oppression. They were in slavery and bondage. God hears their cries, sends them Moses and offers to them. He wants to rescue them from captivity and bring them into a promised land flowing with milk and honey. 
God shows up and through Moses performs 10 miraculous signs, the last of which is so overwhelmingly powerful that the Egyptians crumble beneath it and give the Israelites their freedom. Not only their freedom, they send them on their way with plunder, with gold and with silver. They give them gifts. As Israel is leaving with their pockets full of the money of Egypt, the Egyptians change their mind. Pharaoh hardens his heart, changes his mind, goes after the Israelites with all of his army. And here comes this giant army pressing the Israelites up against the Red Sea in which certain doom is awaiting them. In the midst of that, God fights for Israel, separates the Red Sea. Israel walks safely through on dry ground and, it, and Egypt is completely decimated when the waters come back. God takes Israel and leads them to Mount Sinai and there he appears to Israel in smoke and fire on the mountain and he speaks to them the words of the covenant and he says to them, if you will obey the words of the covenant, you will be my people and I will be your God. I will take care of you. I will watch over you in a special way. And Egypt says, we want that. We agree. We sign up for that. And God led them through the wilderness and he provided bread from heaven and he provided water from the rock. And then... They got the Kadesh Barnea on the edge of the promised land. And they send 12 spies into the land. The 12 spies spent 40 days looking around the land, examining everywhere they can be. And they come back. All of Israel assembles together at Kadesh Barnea to hear the report. And the 12 spies get up, and it is absolutely 100% unanimous. That is a good land. Every single spy says it's a beautiful land. It's a gorgeous land. It's flowing with milk. We've never seen any land like this. This is amazing. Every single one of the spies agrees. That is an amazing land. Every single one of the spies also agrees. There's some giants in that land. And they are big. Literally, the ancestors of Goliath live in the land. These are giants living in the land, and they are powerful, and they are frightening, and they are scary, and nobody has seen anybody like these guys in Egypt. Egyptian army, they were tough. These guys, they're huge. And so 10 of the spies, 10 of the 12 say, we're going to get destroyed. There is no way we win that fight. There is no way we take that land. Two of the spies, Joshua and Caleb, stand up and say, don't listen. God can do this. Look at how far he's brought us. Look at all the things he's done for us. Look at how he brought us out of Egypt. Look at how he provided for us. There's no way God would bring us this far only to let us die here. But the 10 spies who didn't want to go in spread a report in the land among the people that God had brought them to this place to slaughter them. And all of Israel got together and they voted. They voted to find a new leader to go back to Egypt. That's what's known as the rebellion. And the sobering thing that God is pointing out. Look who rebelled. Wasn't it the people that God had brought out of Egypt? The point is they started on their journey by faith. They saw God do amazing things. They walked with God out of Egypt. They walked with God through the Red Sea. They walked with God to Mount Sinai. They walked on a journey of faith. But the problem was is they got to a point where they refused to go any further. They got to a point where they had to decide by faith again 
Will we trust God? The giants were bigger. The darkness was deeper. They could see less clearly how they were going to get through. And at that point, they got to that moment and it took more faith and they said, no, that's it. We're done. That is the example of unfaithfulness. Because when it called for faith again on their journey, they didn't have it. There are three lessons we can learn from Hebrews chapter three for our lives today. Looking at Jesus who was faithful, who continued to exercise faith, and looking at Israel, which was unfaithful. And here are the three lessons. First, every journey of faith has crisis moments where we have to again decide to believe. Every journey of faith, every journey of faith, if God has called you to do something, if God has called you to step out, if God has called you to trust him, every single journey of faith has moments when you're in the middle of the journey where we have to decide by faith whether we're going to keep going. Every single one. I do not know a single person who has ever followed God on a journey of faith who hasn't gotten to a crisis moment where they wanted to turn back. You see, we think the initial decision is the big decision. We think that's the hard one, that when we decide by faith to get going, that the rest is going to go smoothly. We felt God prompting in our hearts that we need to share the gospel with one of our coworkers or a family member or a friend, and we're so nervous about it, we're petrified, we've never done it before. But by faith, we say to God, I'm going to do it. And we think that's the big thing, that when we share the gospel with this person, they're going to hear the gospel and fall to their knees and accept Jesus and get involved in the church and be an elder, and it's just going to be wonderful from that moment on because we made that decision in faith. We hear God calling us to forgive someone who betrayed us. And we think, how in the world am I going to be able to do that? The pain is so deep. It's so raw. It's so real. But God gives us the faith and we say, okay, Lord, I'll do it. And we think, because we've made that decision in faith, that everything now going to go smoothly, that that relationship will be perfect, that we'll never be hurt again. We think that when we get diagnosed with cancer, that when we exercise faith at the beginning to say, okay, Lord, if this is from you, that the rest of the journey is going to be one of peace and going from strength to strength until we finally arrive at our destination. We think what matters is the initial decision, but that's not all there is. Every journey of faith hits a crisis moment. There are times when the giants in the land are so big, when the giants in the land are so overwhelming that your knees buckle. And even though you started in faith, you get in the middle of it and you think, I can't make it. I cannot do this. I cannot handle this journey of cancer. I cannot keep trying to forgive this person. I cannot share the gospel and then feel the rejection that comes or the embarrassment. I just can't do it. Every journey of faith has those moments. For Jesus, it wasn't just deciding in eternity past that he was going to trust the Father and come to earth. He had to keep making the decision over and over again. And you know what? In that garden, that is the giant in the land. And the giants that Jesus is seeing waiting for him in death, they're overwhelming. Everybody's knees buckle, including Jesus, fully human, frightened, anxious, beset by doubt. Every, every journey of faith has those moments 
where you get a glimpse of the giants in the land and you think, I can't make it. I've got to turn back. Number two, struggling to obey is perfectly fine. Refusing to obey is not. Struggling to obey on the journey of faith is perfectly fine. Refusing to obey is rebellion. Moses, who's described as being faithful, who was called to this task, and it took a lot of faith for him to agree to be the leader of the children of Israel, at some point got to a place where he was leading the children of Israel where they just kept grumbling and complaining, and he falls down before God and says, I can't take it anymore. If this is what you're going to do, then kill me. Put me to death. He's struggling to obey God in the task God's given him. God's fine with that. God is fine with that. Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane is struggling to keep going by faith. God is fine with that. The man who wants a demon cast out of his son who comes to Jesus and says, I thought maybe you could help. Jesus says, all things are possible for him who believes. And the man says, I want to believe. I'm trying to believe, but I can't. Please help my unbelief. Jesus is good with that. I told you last week that I was struggling about going to Guyana and I'm saying, Lord, I'm willing to go, but the fear, it's overwhelming. I need help. Jesus is okay with that. Whatever journey you're on, whatever you're going through, if you're struggling to keep going and you're crying out to the Lord, Lord, I want to obey. Please help me. I'm afraid. Please, Lord, I'm filled with anxiety. Please, Lord, I feel like I have more than I can handle. That is perfectly fine. The person who struggles to obey will receive from the Lord only mercy and grace. All you will ever receive from God is him coming alongside of you and saying, I know what you're going through. I'm with you. You can do this. But the children of Israel are said to have hardened their hearts. Meaning they got to the point where the giants in the land were so big, and what they said was, we're not going any further. We cannot do it, and we won't. That's rebellion. That's where God shows up and gets angry. He completely understands it's a struggle. But the moment you say, I don't care, I'm not going that direction, that's when he gets angry. If God's asked you to walk the journey of singleness, either now or for your whole life, and you're struggling with obeying when it comes to purity, and you say, God, it's so hard. I feel like I was designed to have a physical, intimate relationship with another person. God understands and has sympathy for that. But the moment you say, look, Lord, I don't care what you say about sexual immorality. I'm going to do what I want to do. That's rebellion. If God's asked you to forgive a person and you're saying, Lord, it's such a struggle, the pain is so deep, he's okay with that. The moment you say, look, Lord, I cannot do it and I will not do it. I'm not ever going to forgive that person. I'm not ever going to let this go. That's rebellion. If God's asked you to give money to someone who's struggling and you say, but Lord, how am I going to pay my own bills? God's fine with that. But the moment you say no, I need that money for myself. Stop telling me what to do, Lord. I'm keeping that for myself. That's rebellion. And the way is death. God says, look at how this turned out for Jesus. Where is Jesus right now? He's reigning in heaven with all things under his feet. 
because he chose to keep going by faith. Not because he saw it. Not because it was easy. He struggled, but he continued to go and he asked God to help him. Where's Israel right now? Where's this generation? They're not around anymore, are they? They never entered God's rest. The difference is they refused. Jesus said, not my will, but yours be done. Israel said, not your will, but ours be done. To struggle to obey God is absolutely normal. It's Christ-like even. To refuse to obey God is satanic. Number three. We all need encouragement on our journeys of faith. Verse 13, but encourage one another daily. Encourage one another daily as long as it is called today so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. What sin tells us is, oh, you can disobey God here. He'll forgive you. You can disobey God and not do what he's asking you to do. You'll still go to heaven. That's the deceitfulness of sin. What the author of Hebrews is telling us is that's not how it works. When you say no to God, bad things happen. And the point is, is, but the giants are so big and the darkness is so hard and the journey is so difficult. Every single person needs encouragement along the way. The nation of Israel needed Joshua and Caleb to stand up and say, no, look, I know we're all afraid, but we can do this. Jesus needed an angel showing up in the Garden of Gethsemane to strengthen him. Everybody needs someone to come alongside of them and encourage them on their journey of faith to say, I know you can't see this. I know you can't see how forgiving that person is going to ever be possible. I know that you can't can't see how purity could ever happen. I know that you can't see where the money is going to come from, but trust the Lord. He's led you safely thus far. Make this decision in faith. We all need that kind of encouragement. And we all need to be that kind of encouraging person to others. It's for this reason that I want to share something with you today that I debated and prayed long and hard about whether to share with you. It has to do with our building project. Back in June, I went away on my study break and I knew that God was asking us as a church to consider this building project. We had presented it to the congregation by that point. We had been praying about it for a number of years. I also knew that God had chosen the book of Hebrews in part because it was gonna take great faith to be able to do this building project and Hebrews is all about faith. I laid out the sermon series and this sermon was slated for this day, October 5th. It was supposed to be the third sermon in the series. It was always planned to be on this day. What was not planned for this day was the vote on the building project. Back in June, the vote for the building project was scheduled for September 21st. It was going to be at the annual meeting. And so when I laid out the sermon series, I wasn't thinking at all about the vote for the building project as I thought about this sermon. I thought it's about faithfulness, it's about Jesus, about not doing what Israel did. It's about following God by faith. None of that had anything to do with the building project. Somewhere in July or August, the elders decided the annual meeting's got too much stuff happening on it. We can't do a vote then, do we? We need to move it away from the annual meeting a little bit, but not too far. And they almost randomly, not really randomly, but somewhat randomly, picked October 5th. Now, I didn't phase me, I didn't think about it at all because my sermon series was already laid out and I could only handle one week at a time, so I wasn't thinking about October 5th. I was simply thinking about what we were preaching on and what was going on in the building project, but... 
there was this nagging sense at me. You see, my strategy and philosophy has been, okay, Lord, if you want us to do this building project, you tell the congregation. That's your job. You convince them. I mean, God's got millions of ways to do this. He does it in little ways here and there with all different people. If I tried to plan out how to do that, I could never do that. I was like, okay, God, if you want to do it, you tell them. I don't want to have to tell them because otherwise it feels like I'm manipulating the situation. I'll have to try to convince them that this is what we're supposed to do. Lord, I'm trusting you to do it. And I was good with that. I like that. That's God's, I'm, I have faith in God. I have faith God's going to do it. But one story kept eating at me. And it's the story of Israel going into that land. And two characters, Joshua and Caleb, I can't get out of my head. They didn't just say, okay, God, they're voting against this. That's fine. It's your job to convince them. They stood up and said, we're making a huge mistake. Trust God. They're doing what Hebrew says they need to do, which is encourage one another daily because journeys of faith are hard. I have this nagging story that I can't get out of my head. So finally I say, okay, Lord, if you want me to say something, you tell me and I'll say it. I don't want to. I want to leave this up to you. I want you to give them dreams and miracles and do all sorts of stuff and leave me out of it. But after I prayed that, I had this weird sense where God said, why don't you look and see what sermon you're preaching on October 5th? And I opened it up and for the first time, I realized it's the story of Israel in the land. Now still, I was like, great Lord, I'll preach that and you tell them through the spirit. You tell them, I'll leave it general and then you make it specific. And then I got to this point in this verse encourage one another daily and I thought how can I tell you to do this to others if I'm not willing to do this to you so as part of my own journey of faith as part of being willing to be obedient and do something that I wouldn't normally want to do I'm going to stand up here and tell you I feel like God asked me to be a spy in the land I feel like I've been in the land. I feel like I've seen where God wants us go. I feel like I've been around to pray and to watch it happen. I feel like I've gotten a front row seat to see what God is up to. And I'm here to tell you, I'm pretty sure he wants us to go into that land. I am pretty sure he wants us to go do this. Now you're gonna have to go ask him for yourself. He's going to have to tell you for yourself, but I would not be a pastor, I would not be a friend, I would not be obedient to God if I didn't tell you, I think we're supposed to do this. I see that there are giants in the land. I know the giants as well as any of you, perhaps better, the giant of money. I know the giant of stress. I know the giant of trying to make decisions about what color the carpet's supposed to be. I know the giant of where we're going to be and the schedule and all of that stuff. The giants are big and they are real and in some ways they are bigger giants than we have seen so far in our journey but I'm also here to tell you they're not too big for God I'm here to tell you that God did not bring us this far only to abandon us at this point. I'm pretty sure this is what he wants to do. I'm pretty sure he wants more community at this church. I'm pretty sure he wants us to invest in our children and in our youth. And I'm pretty sure most of all he wants to grow our faith by letting us trust him in this. Now, you're going to have to decide for yourself. You're going to have to ask the Lord. But like Joshua and Caleb, I want to tell you what I've seen. And I want you to go away and ask him. We're still going to vote on it tonight. And if we vote no, we're not building that building. But I want to tell you. 
the most important principle, the most important character trait for journeys of faith is faithfulness. Because every single journey of faith hits the wall at some point and you think, I cannot go any further. And it's at that point where you have a choice. Am I going to believe God even though I cannot see it? Or am I going to turn back? Hebrews says, do not shrink back. Do not abandon your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. Jesus was absolutely faithful, meaning every opportunity he had to turn back, and there were lots of them. He chose to continue to believe. And today, if you are hearing God's voice, that's what this says. This is him speaking to you. If you're hearing his voice about a health situation, health journey you're on, about having lost a loved one, about a relationship, about the need for purity in your life, about where you are spiritually in relation to God. If you are hearing his voice right now as I'm speaking in in your heart, the spirit is talking to you about forgiveness, talking to you about the need for you to confess to your children what you've done. If he's talking to you about what's going on in your marriage, if he's talking to you about relationship, if he's talking about any of those things, do not harden your hearts. If it's a struggle to do it, that's okay. But don't harden your hearts. Instead, choose to believe. A good and gracious God would not ask you to do something that's going to destroy you. The deceitfulness of sin, the lie is, if you disobey, it'll go well. That's a lie. If you obey by faith, it always ends well. Remember what Hebrews said in chapter 1. Every journey of faith ends well. Choose faithfulness. Let's pray. Father, who are we? We're a faithless people. We see you do miraculous things. We see you do amazing things. And we turn right around and we begin to doubt. God, we get in the middle of situations and we're fired up to go and we're ready to obey. And then we get scared. Thank you for knowing that we are dust and that we're weak. I pray for those right now who are in the middle of journeys of faith who have gotten a glimpse of the giants in the land and their knees have buckled and they've almost turned their backs and gone back. I pray, Lord, that this message would be your voice speaking to them. Help us not to harden our hearts. Help us to continue to believe and trust. Thank you, Jesus, for being absolutely faithful. None of us will ever be able to fathom the giant you stared down. And by faith you slayed. Jesus, that giant was sin, Satan, and death, and they're all gone and destroyed because you were faithful. Help us to fix our eyes on you and to follow in your footsteps. For it's in your name we pray. Amen.